Can I say ball sack on this? <laughs> she has. Fun loving with a G. Ball sack. Why That's did, six words. Why didn't you just say balls? Because it's, it's the actual. <laughs> oh, over oh, coping. It's She's the, coping. <laughs> it's the sack it's element. The, the hanky. Well. And the eggs. How did we go from talking about Cora Staunton to ball, ball sack? Hello. Hello. Welcome to Girls with Goals. I'm Neve Marr. And I'm Rebecca O'Keefe. We didn't even practice that. No. <laughs> you just gave me a knowing look. Like, come on. I feel like we probably should have practiced that little intro, but that's okay. Um, so basically, we wanted to come on and have a little chat because this is a big, important day for us. Today, we are recording the 50th episode of the show and I suppose what we're doing is we're kind of changing things up a little bit we're doing a little bit of a shaky shaky you get more of me yes so more of Rebecca O'Keefe so if you are new to the podcast and if this is the first time listening what are you doing (laughs) Shame on it. There's 50 episodes. What are you doing? You have a lot of time. You've got a lot of time to catch Mm -hmm. up. Um, But Rebecca has been coming on a little bit more frequently over the last few weeks. And I think people have started to kind of notice that. So I suppose we're here to... Well, actually, I suppose I'm here to formally invite you. This just suddenly turned into a date. I'm proposing. I can't make it, sir. Would you like to join me on the podcast more often? Sure. I wanted to as well introduce you to people and get people to kind of know you a little bit more Mm because they've been listening to me shite on for the last 50 episodes and I think if you're going to be coming on more often which I think is great because I think you're wonderfully weird thank you and your insights are very different (laughs) to my insights you look at things in a special kind of way yeah I didn't Mm. know how to phrase that Mm. but yeah you you look at things in in a special interesting kind of way and I think we definitely need that in the podcast I'm looking forward to it (laughs) Wink, wink. Tell us something. Go on. Um, I have a dog called Tipper because he's from Tipperary. I actually did know this about you. Yeah, I talk about my dog a lot. Well, it's more so you showed me the oil painting that you have (laughs) of your dog. True story. It's at the top of my landing. Which is hanging up in pride position. How did you get Tipper to sit for that? Oh, we didn't. We took photos of him. And then my brother's girlfriend painted him. Okay. Using the imagery. (laughs) Like it's... I actually don't think it does the dog justice either. Thank you. It's creepy. It's huge. It's really big. It's a big old oil painting of your dog. How old is Tipper? He is 13 years young. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. No comment on his age. He knows he's getting there. Center of your universe. Yeah. There was talk. (laughs) I told my mom. So I Googled my, I Googled, basically, you can clone a dog for 10 grand, right? And I was like, mom, would it be weird if we cloned Tipper? She was like, Yes. Rebecca, you can't clone a dog that's never happened before. You can't. You can Google. It can be Googled. It costs 10 grand. Okay, because I've heard of the 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 sheep sheep thing. Yeah, yeah. Dolly. I think it's more of a like, I don't really know how it works, but they'll basically just give you like a puppy that's a carbon copy DNA wise of your dog. Okay. But then it's kind of, is that rude to the former dog? Do you have 10 grand lying around no. as well? I was like, we could all pool our funds. She was like, S- you're a freak. I was like, yeah. Um, so yeah, the 50th episode, it's exciting. So I suppose what we wanted to tell you guys, the listeners, is that we're probably going to be here. We might have a little chat at the beginning of the show and let you know the greatest and worst things that have happened to us in the week. 
on that note, Rebecca, before we get into the episode this week, mm-hmm. anything amazing happened to you this week? Oh, sh- oh, that could have been cool, but it wasn't. She just tried to do a little toss of an eyeliner and it fell. It was really suave. Um, what happened to me this week? Okay, I'll tell you mine. Okay. So the greatest thing that's happened to me this week, you have a think, is that I started a new podcast and it's called The Did Teacher's you? Pet. Yeah, now I know we don't promote other podcasts on this podcast, <laughs> but this is brought to you by Neve Martin. Nothing like this podcast, right? It's in Australia. It's called The Teacher's Pet. It's true crime and it's actually going to make sense. We're speaking to Emmy-nominated oh, yeah. producer this week, Shauna Kyo, and she's a documentary and a producer and a filmmaker and uh, she's done something on the disappearance of Fiona Sinnott. So this podcast is unbelievable. It's about a football player from the 80s who gets married and then he cheats on his wife and then his wife goes missing and it's 36 years later and the story is currently unfolding in Australia because of this podcast. The power of podcasts is unbelievable. Okay, so when you said I started a new podcast, I thought you were talking about working on a new podcast. I was like, that is so rogue of her to announce that. How did I not know that she's working on another podcast? No, I feel betrayed. I started and like- then you started saying football and then it's in Australia. I was like, oh shit. That's a big undertaking. I, <laughs> I started listening to a new podcast. Smashing. Which is fine. I love podcasts. So yeah. It's okay to say that I listen to other podcasts and I don't listen to my own voice constantly. That's the the greatest thing that's happened to me this week was the greatest thing that's happened to you before we get into the episode the greatest thing that happened to me right we got paid on monday yeah hooray and i bought two tickets to disney world no mm. that's really big happy birthday to my brother who's probably not listening you're going to disney world with me oh my is a surprise not really we're going to florida a family trip okay and we're flying in to orlando yeah. and usually we just pop on down to wherever we're going but i have convinced the parents to let us stay for a couple of days and go to Disney World. And you love Disney. That's one of the other things. You love Tipper and you love Disney. I love my dog, my my Disney and You've got Hakuna Matata tattooed on me. Tattooed on you. Not the words, the symbol, because the words would be a little bit Yeah. Naff. I haven't been no to offense Di- to I- anyone who has the words. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been to Disney World in about fifteen years. Do you want to know an interesting fact about me? Okay. I've been to Disney World in Orlando 11 times. Oh, for God's sake. This will be my 12th year. Because it's the same old, same old. Nope. It is. No, the magic never ceases. Yeah, but all the kingdoms are kind of the same. I know, but I After a certain amount of time when you go to Space Mountain. Wait, Space Mountain in Disney World? Space Mountain's in all of them, I think. Okay. And it's so much more fun going as an adult. Why? I don't know. You can get kind of drunk. You can't get drunk. There's no alcohol. You can in Epcot. Oh. And in downtown Disney, there's like this yeah, village yeah. thing. The way <laughs> you, there's like bars and shit. I'm telling and you. Literally, I'm picturing downtown Disney is like a seedy place now with drunk Mickey's <laughs> fl- <laughs> wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge. <laughs> Uh, think of the children. Yeah, think of the children. <laughs> the happiest place on earth. There indeed. is one part of it though called Pleasure Island, and you have to be twenty-one to be allowed. It's like a, it's like a the club again. Pleasure Island, what? and there's a little bridge. Okay, Disney World seems to have changed. <laughs> I want to go to Downtown Mickey's in Pleasure World. Okay. Okay, there we go. Okay, that's enough. So from now on, yeah, this is going to be happening a little bit. So you're very welcome. Apologies in advance. (laughs) Very happy to have you. Our guest this week on the show is, like I said, Emmy-nominated producer, director, filmmaker, Shauna Kyo. She's a complete boss lady. So do enjoy the episode. 
delighted to welcome our guest to studio today. Emmy-nominated producer, director, filmmaker Shauna Kyo joins us. Rebecca O'Keefe is here too, as you'll know from our intro, a more of a permanent fixture. But alas... Not an Emmy-nominated producer. Not yet. Yeah. But you know what? It's only Friday. <laughs> Anything's possible. It's on your way. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to play our game first to kick things off. So it's called Six Words or Less, and it's for our listeners and our readers of Her.ie who may not know who you are, so you have to describe yourself in six words or less, so in your own time, Shauna. Um, I would say compassionate. Mm-hmm. Passionate. Creative, loyal, kind and sporty. Nice, I like sporty. Mm. Sporty has not been used. Has it not? Loyal has been. <laughs> not by... Just by everybody. By everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody uses it. It's I, fine. It's yeah. just become a little bit of a, a bugbear of mine. But it's a very important one. It is very important. Yeah. I do think it's it's a key thing to note that it's good that everybody says it because everybody should be should loyal. Be. Yeah. Rebecca's not allowed to play the game anymore. No, sorry. Because you're not loyal? <laughs> I just wasn't very good at it. I always used sentences and they upset me. Yeah. Try one. Give me one oh, God, come on. go on. No. This is your doing. Oh, this is really off the cuff now because she was told. Well, I was practicing. She was told she wasn't allowed to do this. Um, so. Sorry. Oh, there it is. First bleep. My first bleep. Don't yeah. worry, it happens. Yeah. Um, first bleep of the podcast. Um, six words. Oh, give us two. Fun loving. It's <laughs> <laughs> literally the first thing that came into my We'll head. take that. That's amazing. Do you know what? Are you fun loving? I don't know. I guess I love fun. Like I love how you didn't even include the G. You're I like know. fun loving. And loving. looked up. Not loving. Apostrophe. <laughs> <laughs> take a pause. Yeah. I'll take that. That uh, was good. That was good. Again, no no more. No more six words or less for you. Um, Shauna, you mm-hmm. have a new documentary that's just come out, Cora the Greatest, mm-hmm. um, which we'll talk about later. You have another one that's coming out in the autumn as well. You also have your own production company and you also have your own clothing line. So I pretty much just need to know everything about your life. So let's start at the very beginning reality TV was kind of where you started right so this was back in 2004 and you were living in London yeah so I would have went to Ballyfermer College I would have studied television and film Mm. there and then I went to London to get work experience and then the idea was said to come back and to finish my masters but during that time I I said I rocked over to London thinking that I'd you know get some work experience um, and just roll into a a production company which didn't happen so I ended up working in a bar um, you know as you do just to earn your money and um, during that time I'm a celebrity get me out of here was on and Jordan and Peter are in the jungle and I was working every day and on the front of all the tabloids over there you know this love story was unfolding and I can't believe that was 2004 it doesn't feel like that t- long ago it, yeah actually was it t- 2004 2005 yeah, yeah I think we got married in 2000 I was it seven yeah, it would have been around that time. Yeah. So that was the, though basically I was working in the bar, they were all over the tabloids and I was sitting there and I was thinking these guys would be an amazing reality TV show. And so they're on, um, they'd obviously come home and they were on ITV this morning doing their weekly inserts together. Mm. And then there's a picture of them coming out of a hotel in London. So I knew where that was. And so I sat in the hobby at, lobby at the hotel and I, I got chatting to their agent and I pitched the show. And the next day, then I flew to Scotland with Peter, Mysterious Girl was number one. And then I essentially moved in with them for a couple of years. And that was this. Stop. So mm. crazy. You literally just waited in the lobby and then pitched the idea. Yeah, like I knew that they were, that their story was just so popular as, as it was. Like, yeah. you know, that there was a great opportunity as a reality TV show. So, you know, it was just probably a bit of the, the Irish charm and mm. sitting there, you know, they'd flown all the way over from Ireland, you know, it was that big long flight. <laughs> <laughs> but the irony Trans- of it was I had it. never shot a frame for broadcasting my whole entire life because I'd just come out of college. So, you know, that whole process to all of a sudden then, you know, my mum had given me some savings to go over to London. So I went to a post-production house, hired a camera, bought 100 DV tapes and 
and just did just it just went for it and that was it and then you know you learn your craft as you go and yeah. I couldn't have probably gotten a better experience because their lifestyle and they were so high profile at the time that everything that I was filming and having to shoot for broadcast in a, a prime time slot like ITV and at that time I said you know it was a very small trusted circle so I was literally everywhere with them so I had to learn how to film like run audio mm. direct essentially from such a young age like from my first production so those yeah. skill sets were just invaluable to me and what were they like amazing were they mm-hmm. I never go into I get asked to you know write books to talk about them all the time mm. but just as much as that I would have done a, a lot of celebrity programming I said I do programming of all sorts and from from my point of view you know it's all about trust in no matter what documentary or what program I'm making yeah. so I have a rule of thumb that I never speak about those experiences That's you know, fair. regardless mm. because you know at the end of the day I know public perception of people is one thing but I know I know people on a different level um, and I wouldn't want people to go to work and speak about me the next day or whatnot mm. you know it's like it's not fair I think from from back then as well that was probably their first foray into reality mm. TV and then since then Katie Price has been, been, on that has train. been pretty much <laughs> been doing them like continuously yeah. when you went stateside then you kind of started moving slightly away from mm. reality TV and you were working kind of like true crime and investigative yeah. and stuff but in terms of reality TV here in like Ireland and the UK how much do you think it's changed as a medium because obviously I mean Love Island is just so huge but aside from that everything that happened in Celebrity Big Brother there recently with Roxanne Pallet as well like everything just went crazy do you look at things like that from a producer's point of view like do you look at that and do you know Mm, that was planted or that's like that or this is like this or yes well like honestly you know like I said going back as far as, as, as Kate and Pete their their show was essentially probably the first reality TV show in the UK you know yeah. and then I worked with Kerry Katona Callum Bess Abby Clancy I'd done you know an array of, of reality TV shows at that point and so like my transitioning into factual programs started for Channel 4 so I had a really good um, executive producer who sort of took me under her wing because documentary is where I wanted to go so I'll be really honest I haven't watched a frame of Love Island I didn't watch a frame of Celebrity Big Brother because to be honest with you I think there's room for every type of programming and it's great entertainment you mm. know but it's just something that I'm not like turning my nose up to but I mm. just I, I'm at the moment th- like thankfully I'm, I'm really busy but I obviously catch it and I read stuff on Twitter and on social media but I wouldn't be recording it and I wouldn't be running home to see it I'm just also slightly probably sceptical with something like Love Island where I have four very young nieces and a nephew mm. um, and I am uh, just sometimes in terms of body image what we're promoting in terms of couples having sex on television and thinking that's cool and that's really dangerous I think that's really dangerous and I think promoting that is something that we need to be very wary of you know I don't think we should um, be highlighting the fact that you know people are essentially swapping partners and doing it on air and thinking it's a good thing it's funny because it's kind of gross when you think about well, it like you, that. we never thought about it because no. like we, we would cover it on site and we've definitely spoken about it yeah. on the podcast and I remember one of the lads on Love Island created like the Do Bit Society which oh, was yes, you know yes, and yes. it became this joke and it became like this kind of funny thing of like did you do any bits or Da, 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 da. And obviously, I didn't watch the violent films. Oh right, okay. So really wow, yeah. she was too busy being fun loving. Yeah. Fun loving. Hold the G. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's weird when you think about it. I don't think I thought about how weird mm. that was. Yeah. That they were essentially talking about how far they got with people you know under the covers and appearances and, too yeah. you know like I think this, we need to again there's so much pressure you know I've got a doc- documentary in development at the moment on women you know as well of all ages and just as well like you know the, the body shapes the body sizes the lashes the the lip fillers 
whatever it may be you know I said I think we just need to sort of be conscious of like how that is affecting I said the younger generation coming up and seeing what is normal or what's seen as acceptable because it does have a knock on effect oh, in yeah. terms of mental health and perception of what like the perfect body is and I think for me is even going into doing documentaries like with Cora you know it's it's promoting sports and health health and fitness in the right way I said it's just it's something to me that's very very important I said maybe because I've said I have four young nieces coming up that I'm, I'm protective of that I want to make sure that their their stream of thought is, is the right one and Well it's just about showing women in different lights as mm. well I It's mean, okay like, to be whatever size you are But it's totally. not and it's not even about size it's okay to be like you know an incredibly talented and gifted athlete as yeah, well totally. and it doesn't mean that you're any less of a celebrity just mm. because your strength lies in sport you know I mean I think in terms of the documentaries that we're seeing and stuff a huge focus all, all is on appearance for women mm. yeah. as opposed to the men although I think the men get it as well like I don't think that we can kind of say that they don't because they all looked quite chiseled as well yeah. in Love Island Yeah. Um, but it's just one of those things of like the documentaries that you worked on like Cora for example yeah. um, which it, which was it came out on Sunday on TG Caha right yeah. just that that in itself like a documentary that's literally just dedicated to one female sports person who has this incredible reputation in yeah. Ireland and just went on and did something incredible and even at that you know like the obviously going over to Australia and spending a, a time in the elite leagues over there you know semi-professional women playing and they mm-hmm. you know some of those women had children some of them were travelling from Melbourne from Sydney like anywhere all over the all over Australia but their work like their their body types you know their athleticism and being in the gym and being healthy I said now obviously they're on a, on a professional contract so it's, it's probably a bit more left field than more, most of us but I think there is that fine balance of, of healthiness and, yeah. and seeing what you can achieve in terms of your body type as well you know you know for like that you could see the difference physically in Cora's shape but she's on a very strict rapes programme but it's promoted in the right way Yeah. you know I think that I'm very much an advocate for strongest the new skinny and I was very much about promoting that you know and you see on the likes of social media and that that was something I really wanted to take hold to for women in yeah. every aspect not just in body image but in business and also like just going back to Love Island as well like this whole sort of centred around you have to be dating somebody and this guy or that guy you know it's like was there any gay people on Love Island? There no. was before do you remember was she there? actually passed away this year she was oh, the first no. she was part of the first oh she was bisexual yeah uh, so she was with a guy oh, no. first and then, and, a, then a, and then a girl, and a girl came girl. in and then she got with a girl yeah, yeah. she died like she a did. A couple of weeks. I, I might have even been during Love Island. What? She died at the beginning of the new season yeah, of Love Island, really but she sad. was on it a couple of years before. Yeah, nice but that was the only. But when she went in first, um, it wasn't really said that she was bisexual. She was straight. But I think, like, when Love Island came out first this year, everybody was just like, well, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, it was almost as if we had stepped back 10 years in yeah. terms of all of the women looked, looked exactly, exactly the, same. the same. Like, 0% body for fat blonde 100% stunning. hair mm-hmm. yeah like I mean and they looked great but at the same time yeah, like if I was a, a younger girl and to be honest with you even now, even now yeah. you just look at them and it's hard not to go like my ass will never look like that mm-hmm. and I remember thinking that I was like they're asses yeah. holy shit like oh my god like two eggs and a hanky I couldn't yeah. get over oh, wow. it what an image Tell <laughs> 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 oh my God. It literally was though. Eggs in a hanky. Yeah, you know, I Boiled. think that's a. Is you that never not heard a turn of that? a phrase for something else. Yeah, is it? Mm. I think so. Oh shit! I don't even. Do you know what I'm? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? No, I, got it. Yeah. I don't. Am I just being really like two no. eggs in a hanky? 
Can I say ball sack on this? <laughs> she has. Fun loving with a G. Ball sack. Why That's did, six words. Why didn't you just say balls? Because it's, it's the actual. <laughs> oh, over oh, cupping. It's She's the, cupping. <laughs> it's the sack it's element. The hanky. Well. And the eggs. How did we go from talking about Chorus Staunton to ball, ball sack? Anyway, I want to talk about what you're doing with your clothing line mm-hmm. because we kind of started talking about what you're doing with the stuff in America, which I want to get to because of your new documentary. But I just happen to have something. Here. Oh, here's okay. one I prepared Here earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Look at this. Ta-da. Ta-da. Girl crush just for you. 5428. Okay, so this is your clothing line. So tell us what 5428 means. So Yeah, because I don't know. Mm. You don't know. On your keypad there in your telephone, if you put in 5428, it spells LGBT. So it's code. I knew knew that. Hold on, hold on. There you go. Their noises she's making with her mouth, nose, (laughs) can't decide, but they're really impressive. That's part part of the clothing line. When you buy a t-shirt, you get there. So tell us about this. So why did you start a clothing line in the first place? So I am gay and I came out, I didn't come out too long ago. And one of the things for me was consistently when I was in the States and I was really struggling with my sexuality. Like it was a really hard thing for me to like just internally, I was probably extremely like homophobic to myself, didn't want to be gay, wanted to be straight. And um, so one of the things was when I I was doing a a show down in North Carolina, I met a lot of gay people and I was actually one of the things that connected us all was how we dressed. Um, A lot of us had to say the skinny jeans and the round neck shirts or the snapback hats and the hoodies or the leather jackets with the check shirts. And, you know, as I I started to sort of slowly come out, that was coming through my clothes an awful lot, like what I was wearing, you know, instead of identifying with people that I could just know from being if you walk into a room you could probably identify somebody that was the same as me so I wanted to bring out a clothing line that uh, like the, the coding for it 5428 it said is so you don't necessarily like when gay pride comes on I love gay pride yeah. and it's so essential like to celebrate you know our, the history and, and to acknowledge what happened in the past to get where we are today but everything was very heavily branded with rainbows and unicorns and all that sort of stuff and I wanted to create something that like like this that you could wear to work every day yeah. and, and or wear essentially probably not have to come out to people as, as, as such There's some Something that I don't know if you've seen Hannah Gatsby's uh, Netflix comedy special, and it's called The Net, and it's incredible. And she, oh, t- I heard about this. yeah, so she talks a lot about it. Um, she talks a lot about like growing up in Tasmania, and mm. she was gay, and she didn't really know like there wasn't a gay community there at the time. And then she said that she saw the first Pride on TV, and there was colors, and there was floats, and there was all this incredible glitter, yeah. glitter and flamboyancy. And she just puts it perfectly. She literally just said like, "Where did the shy gays?" Like she was like, I don't want to run outside with a wrapped in a rainbow flag. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm not proud of my community. Mm. So I actually think like when I was reading about 5428, that kind of embodies a little bit about yeah. what she's talking about. Absolutely. So you can hold a huge sense of pride, but not need to like literally wave Absolutely. a flag and be at the George every night. You that, know? And also like, you know, it's funny because especially around the, the around pride, there were so many people I was passing that were wearing 5428. Yeah. And it was almost like this little underline, like, oh, hey, code, you know, we, yeah. there was a connection in a community that we knew what it represented and that was extremely important as well to have that and you know to take ownership of that and, and for me I said that was all about the numbers and creating that yeah. um, so you know look, it's going really well like you know the next step said we're, I'm over in the States in the new year we're looking at getting it into mainstream stores over there and we're flying online and, and we're branching out so um, it's been it's been brilliant I said it's been very well received and you know I said I just want to keep it growing now yeah. said, into the international market I mean you said there something that kind of sounded like quite harsh that you were probably a little bit 
internally homophobic mm-hmm. towards yourself. When you were working in the States, when you were working on these kind of documentaries, did you feel like it was going to hold back your work if they knew that yes, you were gay? I did. Right. And like the biggest thing I was the most protective of in my career because mm. I'd worked so, so incredibly hard to get where I was um, and to get contracts like that with the likes of National Geographic and Discovery Investigation and Fox and all these things. And, you know, at times my field is very much male dominated, yeah. you know, and your gender does come into play. And, you know, I've sort of had to always from day one go out and, and generate my own work. So I was over in the US, I was I living the dream, said I'm working incredibly hard to do that. But I was also doing a lot of shows in the deep south mm. um, and yeah. being gay down there is not OK. Like, yeah. it's just not. And it's, it's actually quite scary at times. Yeah. So for me, like, I didn't want to ever jeopardise my time or my like my career there because of my sexuality. But at the same time, it was, it was, I was still struggling so much. When you're working, I always think that I never want to be defined as like a woman who does good work. I just yeah. want to be defined as somebody who does good, good work. work. Yeah. And the thing is, is that I feel like sometimes if your sexuality is another thing that you have to throw on mm. to that, again, it's just fighting against another label that yeah. people do slap on you, no matter how liberal we've all become and no matter how, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I don't think, I think it's, I think it's, Normal to say that that might have been something that you. Oh yeah, I like about, yeah. I, absolutely. I said I did, let's not even. I said I think you know on a personal level to struggle yourself with that acceptance, mm. then trying to get other and people to, to accept you people. when you don't yeah. accept yourself. You know, it's like that itself is hard enough. You know, there's a lot going on. Like I go, to, I went to therapy and I still do. I go to therapy once actually ever tonight, and um, once a week, and it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. That really helped deal with my homosexual, like I said, my feelings mm. of being internally homophobic and, and dealing with that because that's been ingrained in me my whole entire life when you grow up like you know it's amazing that history has changed and we've got progression and, and being gay is is socially acceptable in some parts even in Ireland you yeah. know so when I when I finally came out I said I came out mostly because I said my niece was diagnosed with cancer and a operable brain tumour and I just thought life was too short yeah. and I needed to take ownership of wow, it that was kind of the catalyst that, yeah wow. absolutely because you know I'd be coming home from New York and visiting my family in hospital visiting her and talking and, and then going back and going back to a girlfriend that nobody knew about well it's a secret essentially like a secret. You, you it's shameful a, a big secret yeah. yeah so like that for me so then just getting into therapy quickly and, and undoing sort of all those thoughts that I had growing up about negative thoughts about being gay and, yeah. and understanding that it's actually okay yeah. and also you don't just come out and then you're living gay and everything's yeah, cool everyone's great yeah, yeah yeah it's like it takes time to process that you know it takes yeah. time to be like like say it in public and be around people and be like acknowledge that without feeling because if you spend your whole life like living this lie or shamed or denying it which I would do like you know you, you'd, you'd play it straight essentially it takes a long it takes a time to accept yourself and be okay and comfortable about it now I like said I couldn't come any further I have a clothing line that represents it and I'm very yeah. proud of it and I take ownership of it and I said oh yeah I said my nieces and my nephew are like are my like core things I love them so much that mm. they'll never ever see me date anything else but a female you know and they yeah. it won't be normal to them it'll yeah. be fine but see that's the great thing then because mm. then when they grow up it's not going to be a situation yeah. of trying to like hide anything or yeah. anything it's completely normal for them which Absolutely I think is like important it really important yeah. yeah did you know anybody gay growing up in school no I went to an all girls school so did, did I did you know anybody I mean Statistically, yeah, there has to be. Yeah, but you didn't. Few, Nobody was out. Yeah, no, a couple waited so. till we till they till they left school. But I think that's just again 
Perception. The perception thing. But I think like sexuality is so fluid now that like I, I watched an interesting thing on YouTube there. Uh, a woman who works for BuzzFeed kind of uh, came out and she realized that she wasn't straight, but she had always been straight essentially she'd only ever dated guys she had boyfriends and then she kind of um, just met a woman and, and really really liked her and she was like oh I'm am I gay? And then she kind of had to go on a, a journey of discovery yeah. and, you know, she kind of realised that she was on the asexual spectrum because when she was growing up she didn't necessarily have crushes on anybody. Yeah. So she just presumed that she was, she was straight. straight. Yeah, but I mean, and it was just really interesting because I think maybe lots of girls when I was growing up in secondary school presumed that they were straight and maybe they weren't. They Absolutely. just did what they... That's what you know. Like, to, like thought they had to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. essentially what all of us did growing up. You date guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah. did you date? You dated nowhere. guys? Like, I did, yeah. yeah. I but did you always know that you didn't like guys? Like, no, because I didn't know what gay was. Yeah. It was never talked about. There wasn't one lesbian mm. in my year. I mean, there is now. There, we've all come out. It's like, woo! Oh God, hey, okay. <laughs> we could have had so, <laughs> so much fun. So much fun. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you played sport too. You know, it's like it's it's. It, but at that time, like there wasn't. It wasn't spoken about at yeah. all. It was like it was foreign, and gay was so negative. Yeah. It's used as such a heart. Like it's used as, it, as yeah. an insult. Totally. Do you know what I mean? And you don't want. You know your teenagers are horrendous and you want to fit in mm. and no one wants to be on the outside so if there's something that makes you feel slightly on the outside you just you just completely push that away because you just want to click you know no one wants to be in the in the girl gang that's not cool it's actually so interesting that you say that do you you went to a girl school as well oh, sure did i went to an all-girl oh, school and there was yeah. no gay people like I mean, there was not one lesbian in, in my entire school. Statistically, that's not right. It's not no. true. Like I know now, no, a bunch of them are gay. Like I'm yeah. not even sure if I'm straight yet. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Throw the dice. There it is. Dan, <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow, babe. Girl crush. There we are. Brilliant. There's the exclusive. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, it yeah. was just a funny. You talk about your boyfriends when you're 15, 16, and you go out and you just do what what your friends are doing. Totally behind Absolutely. the church usually. Oh well, well, well. <laughs> I wish I went to your school. That's that's not what we did at church. <laughs> Obviously, though, I'd say, like, in your career now, you're pretty established. I mean, if you've, you know, you have an Emmy nomination, which is... Nomination, which my mom reminds me, you didn't win when she's angry. <laughs> to be honest with you, even a nomination... It's not... You're not doing too bad. We're all winners here. Yeah, all we're, winners. We're all doing well. Do you hear that? So now you're able to kind of, like, make your passion projects. And mm. when I was speaking to you before you came on, you, you were speaking about the Fiona Sinnott documentary mm. that you're doing, which is going to be coming out in the autumn. Um, so what's the title of that first off? Getting Away With Murder. Okay, so this is this is about a woman. She went missing in, in Ireland. It was 1998, was it? Yeah, yeah. 20 and, years ago. And obviously, you know, um, she's presumed dead, but the title... No, like, she's murdered. She's murdered. Yeah. Okay, so obviously that implies that the killer is still out there or hasn't been found. So just talk us through, like, why you decided to do this story. Was it something that had just always kind of stuck with you? Because I remember yes. that. As I remember when she went missing. There was a lot of women going missing around that time. Yeah, there's, um, like, we're in post-production at the moment with the documentary. There's a limited amount I can talk about till yeah. we actually, uh, we go to air. But it's, uh, I do <coughs> a lot of crime documentaries the States I said factual programming would have been a huge thing for me especially said in London as well with Channel 4 so when I came back um, to Ireland I wanted to I just I wanted to figure out what happened because Fiona Sinnott actually went missing on the 8th of February which is my birthday wow, okay. and I remember that story because she you know the news reports had said she left the pub and she went for a few drinks with her friends and then she was she was gone mm. um, and my mum having three girls was terrified being like don't walk home on your own I'm sure he's all yeah. that was a thought you know it was always terrifyingly scary so 
So when I came back, I wanted to figure out, you know, whatever happened. So um, I was um, speaking to, I was doing it on another documentary, and I was speaking to one of the journalists. who's was like, oh, I asked her, I said, did you ever cover the Fiona in a case? And um, she's like, yeah, I said, did that ever, whatever happened to that? And um, she said, no, I think we're still in the same position. So I went down to Exford uh, over a year and a half ago, and I met the family. I contacted the family. I had a conversation with them. I talked about doing a documentary like I would do in, in any other production. And, you know, I just said, like, I'd really want to take this on and, and give it a, give it, like, film with you guys and start yeah. to, to go for it. So we've been filming for over a year and a half. Uh, it's an incredibly tragic story. Um, She's a young mother as well. Young mum. Mm. Just tragic. Mm. Tragic on so many levels. You know, it's just incredibly difficult. But the family have been unbelievable. Um, the process to making it, I said, it's been, it's been, it's been emotional. Mm. Um, so I am, I said, we're in the middle of post-production now. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, getting it to the point where we're ready to go to air. And I know um, <clears> you said that you can't really talk about, like, certain aspects of it. But, it, I mean, do you think that making a documentary like this is going to, bring out more information about it do you think that there are still yeah. people that are out there who know more yeah. than, than what has been said or again not pushing you too much but do you think enough was done in the investigation when it happened I think what I'd like is for you know the silence I think silence is the biggest killer I think people who like live in silence or who don't talk I said that's the problem and I think people need to you know be not be fearful and to speak and I think that's in most cases that is the thing you know it's to me it's, it's slightly like the, the Harvey Weinstein thing where one person gets their voice and speaks and all of a sudden then there's like domino. a domino effect yeah. where people don't fear anymore because fear is what rules people it's fear it's intimidation it's like the worry of what would happen but actually I, I think if you're, if you're willing to not say anything at all that's almost worse yeah you know so it's it's a, it's a compelling it's a compelling story I said it's a reflection on where we were 20 years ago as well you know I said for me there's a lot more I want to do going forward politically mm. but a documentary like this I said I think there's more to come yeah I think like in terms of the people <clears throat> in Ireland there's actually a huge amount of families who are living with the fact that their loved one just Disappeared. Disappeared. Yeah. Absolutely disappeared. And I think, like, back then, 20 years ago, we didn't have the kind of advances in technology that we do now with police work and yeah. DNA and, and things like this. And even also, social media is such a great tool for e finding missing exactly, people. Exactly. Like, even things like back then, there were days that you would go a week without speaking to anybody because yeah. you didn't have a phone it and means. you weren't on your Instagram and you weren't checking it all the time. So, like, I don't think Fiona was reported missing for a few days. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, even. like, that, I think circumstances surrounding that, like, that, as you said, you know there's no CCTV yeah. there was yeah. no phones in houses you know even you're lucky if you had a phone phone in a house you know I said also country life was, is different yeah. to city life it's like you know I have a producer Catherine Richards who's unbelievable she's been working side by side with me on that and she's from Wexford and um, you know we've obviously been on the case said for over a year now you know and I remember just going back to Butler's pub and, and doing the route home and it was pitch black yeah and I was can't like see your hand in front of you like yeah and, and actually you can now because the, like certain amount because the you know the new housings and, and the lighting now that's on the roadway but I just was like my god did you guys walk like and so this yeah. is country life you know they that was that's what was happening I always think about like these kind of situations and I think about the families involved mm. and I actually can't imagine 
the pain the that they the uncertainty of not knowing or I mean, always having this tiny little glimmer of hope that maybe they're like alive somewhere living yeah and a I different think, you know I think it was the Philip Carnes case that really struck me because do you remember when, when he went missing this was uh, he was a 13 year old boy I think and he went to school one afternoon yeah. and, and then he never he never came back but I think it was the next day his school bag was found mm-hmm. and one police officer got really excited and like went in and was like we're going to find him his school bag just turned up and I just can't imagine how the family felt during that time having like a huge amount of hope and then all of a sudden that all going away and then just not knowing but like Mm -hmm. speaking to Fiona's and its family after all these years is it still just as fresh it's 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 incredibly emotional it is incredibly emotional it's incredibly tragic it's it's just it's it's sad on so many levels it's it is genuinely it's heartbreaking I said I would have done probably 50 different cases in the states where Mm. I worked on this one is is so compelling you know it's so so tragic it's close to home as well it's so close to home you know and I think you said for given the the documentary the platform I said I do feel like that we'll definitely get progression you know it's something that needs to happen that's the kind of thing like and I, I love when people are making this kind of program that then turns it into a more well not more but turns it into a conversation again I think so do you know it's, that's the hardest thing for mm. for anybody is you know 20 years is a long time yeah but people develop consciousness in 20 years and people develop different opinions and things are different in time and I think that's what's important but yeah. what hasn't changed for the family is the pain and that'll never go unless they have closure you know and yeah. like they're not looking for Anthony but her body back yeah you know, they just and that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. And you know, I think that's the level that they're at now. Mm. So you know, I think anybody, any family deserves that, no matter who it is. But I said, you know, for me as a documentary filmmaker, I just want to give that the story the best voice and platform I, can, I possibly can, and tell it as obviously as factual and as truthfully that it, that it has to be. Yeah. Um. So that's where we're at in the moment. And I'll definitely chat with you about it further on. I said we're not yeah. too far off in transmission, but this is one of many now I have in development. There's other cases too that I'm that I said a crime and factual programming is my biggest thing. Is and that what you're going to be focusing on in the future? Yeah. yeah. Like I said, when I when the states I was doing lots of sport, lots of um, and lots of factual crime based stuff. And I said for me, it's it's kind of my bread and butter here as yeah. well. Like I just there's something about factual programming that's always been drawn to telling stories and 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 telling and meeting people and building relationships and and so it's definitely there's three or four different ones I have coming up in the next year that I'm developing. Didn't a serial killer get in touch with you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. How does a serial killer, is he in jail? No, he is. It's Brogan Rafferty, actually. And no, that's it. Like, so basically I was doing, this was... God, about f- oh, maybe about five or six like years for, like, ago. Like Web of Lies or something. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I was so excited. There's a so I'm there's obsessed with all of this kind of. Oh, stuff. it's crazy. Yeah, serial, serial killers and like I did, I did a diploma in criminology right after I got my degree. Did you? Just wow. because I knew that the foremost person in Ireland on psychopaths and sociopaths was teaching the class. You just wanted to I didn't want to be a crime reporter. Like I wanted to go to America and interview serial killers. So I was like, I want to learn everything about psychopaths. I got a book about sociopaths. And then when I was sitting there, I was like, oh shit, you know, I was like, am I a sociopath? Like I just, (laughs) I love the psychology behind Mm. it. So I was doing like some research on you and I found out that one actually like got in touch with you. I did actually could have brought the letter for you. Oh, um, signed in blood. Actually, the the, the fascinating (laughs) thing with the letter is it came in the Hannibal Lecter typed typewriter. No yeah, way! It was it was oh, unbelievable. But I was doing Web of Lies, and said they, they, those series were really fascinating. Again, it was about the the internet, how you know people 
collaborate stories on the internet mm-hmm. and then obviously continuously have tragic endings so there was two um, there was a preacher Mm-hmm. And uh, a, a kid called Brogan Rafferty, who was from sort of a very like the preacher was working in the local community, and he'd have um, children that probably came from abusive backgrounds or family homes that were broken up. So they'd all meet in this community yeah. centre, and he'd sort of they'd go out then and they'd play community games, and it was like a place, a safe place for people to go. However, what happened was the preacher actually wasn't wasn't what he said so he had this thing where he would advertise on, on Craigslist for farmhands so he'd have this he basically say look we're looking for a single male who was willing to sort of live in the middle of Ohio on a ranch and take over this farm for the winter months and then could be anything from three to six months where you'd be gone um, so it'd be essential that he didn't have any family ties or anything like that because you'd be isolated essentially so he was like seeking Grooming. seeking victims seeking, these seeking victims, victims yeah. yeah so what happened then like all these vulnerable men would respond and say oh I'd love this I'd love to work on a ranch this yeah. type of thing I do I'm looking for work so what he'd do is then he'd say okay well send me your driver's license because we have to everybody's co- like um, background checked so you get you know, in America obviously you send a copy of your driver's license and then you're set out to be vetted so the, the driver's license would come true and he would look at the people that were similarly looking to him with beards and, and grey hair and then he would say oh congratulations you've got the job pack your stuff up and we'll meet you at the truck stop so himself and then he recruited Brogan who was the young man he's like the Craigslist killer wasn't that's it that's, it, yeah. that's yeah. what his nickname was yeah, yeah he had like he had a proper, proper like is he yeah the preacher yeah. or yeah no Brogan's in for life and um, the Craig's the actual preacher is in death row now. it's terrifying I mean it's a plot to a movie like it's yeah. what we see that's it's, what they base it's the worst criminal minds and episodes mm. and stuff it's the off. worst nightmare that you can imagine oh it's shocking to this, to this man this is how he was caught I think he had he'd murdered probably four or five men at this stage but they, they this guy rolled up they had coffee and they were talking you, you know you, congratulations you got the job and then obviously he had all his, his, his personal belongings in a U-Haul so he's like right, well you'll follow us to the ranch so they, they take off and, and drive to the what was supposed to be the ranch and then when they get there it's a derelict place and then obviously the guy get out of the, he- out of the car and then they, they shoot them in the back of the head and they would basically bury them Jesus. but what happened was the gun jammed <gasps> so when he turned around he heard the k- and didn't go off so he started running and then he cocked it again he shot him he got him in the arm <clears throat> so he spent the night hiding in the woods <gasps> and that was essentially then he got that's to a cabin at the side of the road eventually and he got away and he was caught and then he got away so like that's how they were caught so Brogan obviously I, I went up to Ohio in Columbus and I checked around the families and spoke to them and then I went to um, this Brogan Rafferty's family essentially and just said I'd love to talk to him because he was one of the youngest kids that was doing life mm. um, how old is he? he was just gone 18 I okay. think that's why he was child as an adult as an adult and not yeah. a minor in juvie um, and then he responded to me on, on typewriter a letter just saying wow. he was he was fascinated that I was Irish really? that was it because his name is Brogan Rafferty oh I suppose yeah it's that was the Irish, biggest thing yeah. for me it was like he's like oh my dad said you're at my house and you have an Irish accent and I was like I was and at the time the Brogans were playing for Dublin and you know I was like I just actually watched the Brogans play and blah, blah, blah. and then yeah. we had to struck up this conversation and that's how it transcribed so what happened was then he sent me another letter and it was all it was much more detailed so I thought it was a great idea to send it to my parents because I just thought oh my god my first serial killer letter and my dad's just like when you're going to kill your mom oh my god where are you and I was like oh shit they just got nervous they got yeah. very nervous well, well like, I mean I, understandably I yeah. think yeah what I mean I didn't that? tell my parents the majority of times when I was on the road because there was times where I would be like on a tugboat in the middle of the Mississippi with you know people yeah. I just met and or in the Smoky Mountains like like my job was to go out and find programs yeah so like I could I could start I could take a flight to St. Paul get a truck and drive all the way down to New Orleans and just stop in the, the most isolated places along the way like there's I've had some I very mean, scary parents, times I think that is also that's like lot, yeah. the plot to a movie oh, like I don't like to be honest 
looking Young back. filmmaker. Very foolish. I mean, there's, mm. there was one or two very scary occasions that, yeah. like, I probably shouldn't be sitting here today, but that's that's it. Especially, like, you, like there was no one was, was tracking me, essentially, because I'd know, like, I was always on my own. Yeah. You know, but, um, yeah, it was, I'd met some amazing characters. Amazing. Though. It's just so, like, I've done, like, from everything, from people who trapped, you know, wolves to, you know, living off-grid in the middle of, like, Michigan yeah. to up in Idaho where there's, like, you know, extremists who live with you know weapons in New York they're fighting to, for their like their right to reserve for their arms and you know the AK-47s and, and all this sort of stuff bunkers and stuff exactly yeah. it like so it's like doomsday preppers like, yeah doomsday preppers yeah and then, so it was great I said but just such um, like amazing experiences yeah. down to filming a 40 year old guy losing his virginity you know it's like that yeah. was bizarre. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw that. That's the an real forty-year-old version. The real forty-year-old yeah. version. Yeah, hilarious. Oh god. Do you stay in touch with these people, or like to a certain degree? I mean, I you know. I just want to know about the forty-year-old version. How's he getting on? He's doing really well. Yeah. yeah. Oh god, that. Ca- oh Christ, that was just such a like. It was an unbelievable experience to see somebody literally gain their confidence to the point where you know they the whole thing was a coming of age love story. It wasn't just about this guy having sex yeah. and seeing it. You have to treat these things with sensitivity, yeah. you know. So Channel Four gave me a call and said you know the, the, the 40 year old virgin movie this is kind of how it went it's like there's always themes like mm. the, the vampires with true blood and twilight was doing really well so i made a documentary about the real teenage vampires with Did channel you? four yeah it was fast. i love I okay i'm well. obsessed with vampires like i religiously yeah. watch true blood so you and i are going to talk about that. absolutely <laughs> i actually had fangs made it was yeah because i lived with these this, this these kids down in san antonio texas and they'd have fangs and eyes and you i've know. probably googled them i've googled real yeah. life vampires so they more don't than they once. don't drink blood but they, they like, do they do they do they're sanguarian bangers sanguinemes or whatever it's called wait they don't drink human blood oh they do yeah that's what I like that was the documentary is about so like they I thought this was just people who were like like fakers (laughs) yeah like love the lifestyle of Buffy or whatever no they actually drink blood I've seen I've seen it I've seen people come over to donate blood and donors and they come over and basically what happens is the majority of time when they're tested for instance they go for plasma so they know that like you donate plasma so that obviously you have to get tested first so you know you're clean right and then they become they get they sign up to this forum and then basically that's when they know that they can go and drink blood so you find them on the internet and they come over to your house and then you cut yourself and then they drink off each other's arms imagine being that person like do they get paid like the vampires no the, the no, people it's donating just a, it's, it's just thing. like a, a I mean a it was kick. really bizarre because the people I was filming like the mom was there and I was like wouldn't be my that's thing that's supporting your kid on a whole other level yeah that like, is I, and I did say that to her I was like do you mm. not find this slightly strange yeah and she said no it's better than them going out robbing banks and it's I mean, beats fair. heroin <laughs> fair <laughs> on one level I suppose so Shauna you are here now you're based in Ireland mm-hmm. so you're going to be making films kind of in Ireland and the UK for now and New York, and yeah. New York. so yeah. you're still travelling quite a bit with yeah. your work yeah, yeah. it's I cool saw that you're here though I mean stay here make I make amazing stuff like that here yeah. Yeah. yeah I have a Netflix series in development and I'm writing a movie Sick. at the moment ah tell us yeah, no, just the give movie. us everything don't give it to Oh McDermott give it to us <laughs> yeah. please no, I, I actually I've always wanted to um, write my own film really? so it's been I've probably been writing a script for about a year and a half now so I'd like to like the goal is by 40 is to have a like a feature film amazing yeah. that Oscar I'd love to get the Oscar if we can go just we get can that go. Oscar can we get yeah. the party I'd like to go. is it El- the Vanity Fair Oscar oh, no, party I've been I'd like to them we gotta have our own. <laughs> You've been to your vanity, vanity real fair. casual. <laughs> yeah, but do you know how it goes? Do no, I? I don't. No. Do you do? No. Mm. Champagne and just 
I like I personally like to go to the pub and have a few beers and yeah. chat with friends true I feel like they're probably really overrated yeah just your feet to be killing you and you're just tired and hungry you have to get your hair <laughs> making, you know it's like yeah. you're ready to go it's like that you know just your feet to be killing you like oh, that's the most Irish so thing he goes to Oscar party has sort <laughs> it was like the other night at the screen and you know it was amazing yeah. to be at the Stella and have this huge screen and a documentary Stella, yeah. like it was it, personally it was such I always wanted to give women much more airtime for sports especially because I'd done a lot with the the women's teams in the US and I was yeah. a real advocate for him playing it myself so to watch the Stella to sit in the Stella and watch a you know, chorus documentary go up and it was it was phenomenal but like literally the minute I finish I was like where's my runners my feet are killing oh, me yeah. throw the converse on oh, thanks very much. Runners, runners are so on trend at the moment though like people are wearing Dude, like, look, here we are we're both wearing white runners by the way guys ever so <laughs> okay I'm gonna have to wrap things up yes. unfortunately that is all the time we Thank have you. which I didn't mention my storm oh, this storm. is the bit okay real quick okay so Oscar parties and award winning documentaries aside I have a storm named after me and that is it really was I was beyond excited when I heard that my name is officially going to be a storm this year in Ireland and the UK so when I go to the when I go to the UK yeah it's like they're Uh, one storm unit one storm unit so one of the storms is called Idris there's Saoirse Neve is there I'm very excited when I go to the UK though I call myself Pam when I go to Starbucks because I was going to say they struggle with Neve. I wish that you did that live on air. Call someone in America and get them to see, check and see, is oh. there an N-A-M-H oh there? A Niamh. Yeah. The, the mo- nymph. Most, most mortifying thing happened to me when I was in a Starbucks <laughs> in New York. I was like, uh, they asked me what my name was and foolishly I said Neve and they were just like, how, oh. how do you spell that ma'am and I was like no no it's um, N-E-V and I just kind of did this and they <laughs> were like is that how you really smell, spell that and I was like yeah and they were like I don't believe you stop and then they like brought over all their supervisors oh, no. and made Started it like clapping. this big thing about me I was mortified <laughs> but yeah I was like there's an M yeah you should try them when they there's it's a Siobhan H. yeah I mean Kyo oh my god yeah so if you guys were a storm what kind of storm would you be before we go shark storm Shark storm. Storm. Tornado. Sharknado. Tornado. I was going to say, isn't there a film? It's Sharknado. And it's just a tornado. That's my next movie. Yeah, it's sharks. No, it's not. It's, it, it is. It exists. It's, it was huge. Do you know Tara Reid did it, yeah. remember? Sharknado. 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 I, I thought it was a piss take. No. no. Well, I mean, yeah. It, it was, but it, it actually ended up like, didn't it do really well? They made a second one. <laughs> yeah. So if you're making a third. Sharknado 3, that's you. Next project. Sean of Sharknado. Who needs that? Oscar. Bit of context, Shauna's nickname is Shark, which is brilliant. It's the yeah. best nickname ever. I like the mysterious bit and on the move. Yeah. I don't like being terrifying. Don't bite. Oh, okay. Sand shark. <laughs> sand shark. <laughs> Little tiny sand shark. Rebecca, if you were a storm, what storm would you be and why? <laughs> um, A snowstorm. Interesting. Because wow. I'm cold and fluffy. <laughs> I don't know. I just really like snow. And mine's an actual storm. What kind is... of storm? Do you have to wait and see what your storm will yeah, be? Yeah, I have to mm. wait and see, but I've got a feeling it's going to be that kind of sideways storm. sideways rain storm. Oh, I love them. It's going to come at you. Yeah. It's not going to do any damage, but it's going to just piss everybody off. Right. So yeah, I'm very excited. Thank you so much to our guest, Shauna Kyo, for Thank joining so us this week. Ladies. It was amazing. Rebecca, as always, always a pleasure. <laughs> wow, slightly sarcastic. <laughs> 
<laughs> don't know. She's going to be here a lot I now. Know, so. She's to get used to I me. I had a great time. Yeah. Fun Shane Dempsey was on sound and Fiona Delaney was helping us out behind the scenes. I'm Neve Marr and we will chat to you next week. Bye. <laughs> 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 Got it.